Our heart sponsor for today is the 501c3 nonprofit National Treasures Artists in Residence. We are supporting them by offering an audience-requested masterclass on business plan writing. Over 30 days, you will receive daily emails with micro-tasks broken down over the month that will give you a complete plan. This will help you assemble your ideas, communicate your concept to others, and raise capital. Participants will be eligible for prizes that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash business plans with an S to register. The mind sponsor for today is upcoming podcast series, Personality Sleuths. Personality Sleuths will be co-hosted by Dr. J. Galen Buckwalter, whose career includes being the founding chief science officer of eHarmony and me, leveraging my experience as a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. We will analyze personality using a speech-based proprietary AI algorithm, along with the clues evident in social media and the popular press. Each episode will dissect the life of someone famous who gained the trust of many before becoming notorious for duping people, committing a crime, or losing exorbitant amounts of money, all while the clues were there all along in how they spoke. Tune in soon. On this episode, we have Sky Meltzer. Sky was born and mostly raised in San Diego, save a few years which formed his earliest memories spent in Colombia. He studied economics at Stanford University and started his career in investment banking. He joined a startup after two years. Having grown up in a household that embraced yoga, Sky began the practice as a stress reduction technique. When his startup closed, he took a yoga teacher training program at YogaWorks where he met his wife. He then took a position with MGM and its international DVD division. From there, he took a position as VP of Marketing and Business Development at YogaWorks after it had been acquired by a private equity fund. After that experience, he became CEO of Manduka, participating in a buyout from the founder. During his 13 years at Manduka, he increased the business multifold, going from five employees to 80. Most recently, Sky launched WellSet, a centralized platform to find and book wellness practitioners. Sky, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for having me, Asim. Uh, it's a great pleasure. We've become uh, good friends over the last several years and I've always kept tabs on uh, what the other is doing and uh, in a positive way. And we've enjoyed some some live music together uh, as well, which has been a nice treat. And um, I have to just kick off with the fact that then we'll obviously get into this in the discussion, but uh, you are now a father of four which is mind-blowing yeah. to me. That's uh, twice as many children as I have. And uh, I always have this impression that the complexity of raising them increases exponentially with each child. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just mind-blowing, four children. Um, and to have you still here smiling is, is fantastic. It is mind-blowing. And um, I never could have imagined just how much joy four children are but also when it's hard just how hard it is <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well said it's like the the antipodes of that experience right uh has become very uh, emphatic for you without yes. question um sky in these conversations i love to go back to the beginning and um so from what i recall you were born and raised in san diego that's correct Yes. Um, Tell us about. Uh, did, did you have? Do you have siblings? 
Yes, I have four siblings. Aha. Uh -huh. So now we see a little bit of the thread for uh, having a, a big family. Now, four siblings. So what was what what is your rank? Um, so I am I have an older sister. Okay. And it's complicated. It's a little bit of like a modern family. So three sets of parents, five. Uh -huh. parents. Okay. Um, my my father, my mother had a daughter um, with, uh, she was married and then she separated from my older sister's dad, got together with my dad, had three kids, so I'm the oldest of those three boys. Gotcha. When my parents did not make it together and in a remarriage, my dad had another daughter, Jessica. Okay. So, we're five. We're strong. You wouldn't know that we had different sets of parents. <laughs> but that's why it's a complicated answer. So I'm I'm yeah. second and I'm first. So right, 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 right. Well, and what's the age gap between you and your older sister? Uh, my older sister is four years older. Okay. It's curious because that's when they say that kind of eldest role resets after four years. So you're like right on the cusp, just in terms of a sense of responsibility and um, yeah, uh, just being more aware, most helpful to the parents and so forth. And so, well, tell us uh, what your childhood was like growing up. Uh, a very full house, no question. Yeah, full house. I mean, look, my. Um... I joked, or I think it was in college, in my fraternity, there was like this roasting session and they said, you know, um, if they were to gift me something, it would be a conservative upbringing because <laughs> my, um, I mean, my parents were everything but conservative in the way, in their approach to life when I was growing up. I was born in, uh, my dad delivered me in a forest my parents were like as hippie as the stereotype for hippies sure yeah wow. uh, moved to columbia lived on a farm with no electricity or um you know ru running water so like capturing fireflies for light were like what's some of my first memories how and, old were you when you went down to columbia um, i was two wow so I have a lot of vivid memories from being that age because I think the contrast of living was so different. You know? For sure, yeah, absolutely. And, and until what age did you reside there? Probably like three or three and a half. And I'll never forget like coming back and being in like this elevator being like, where are we? Wow. Like, we're home. And I was like, what? I don't understand this. But um, so there was like that element and yeah, I mean, my my dad is a doctor of preventive medicine and very progressive thinker, and um, also, you know, you know, always meditating, and people are always around doing yoga, and it was just uh, as you would imagine the early '70s to be, I guess, in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, so I was allergic to everything New Age growing up. I wanted nothing to do with any of that, and like when my um, when my friends would come over, I would hide the yoga journal magazines and the incense. You know? Wow. That my dad wouldn't do anything that would embarrass me. But, right, right, right. That's so fascinating. What we embrace and what we repel and how that shifts over time, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Because, 
Yeah, yeah. I obviously know how um, your story progresses. So I know that there was an embracing of those ideals uh, at a yeah, certain point yeah, in your so, career. Yeah. But um, so you went to Torrey Pines High School. Um, yes. And then uh, what, what, what kind Pines? of things? Or that was just... Well, I, I just uh, like, uh, it's like an area close to La Jolla or basically yeah, in yeah. La Jolla. Famous. I went to Torrey Pines High School. Yeah, yeah. And um, what, what, what were kinds of the things that you did uh, in high school? Were you active? What were you active in? Yeah, so I, I, I don't know what was the motivator, but really driven from a very early age. Um, actually, from, I think the motivator was once overhearing my dad and my stepmom having a conversation that I wasn't applying myself. Well, oh. and so I was like, "Okay, screw that. I will show what." <laughs> yeah, yeah. How old were you when you overheard that conversation? I was probably like in seventh grade, maybe. Okay. Um, but I was like super active. I was very, I was a competitive tennis player. I was, um, you know, vice president, president of my class. Just whatever I, I was just you know, good grades running for office, playing tennis, and, and having fun with my friends. I mean, I think that's, that was what that, that was what that time of year looks like, or time of my yeah. life. Yeah, well, uh, idyllic way to spend your time in a very idyllic setting. That's, uh, well, that's a beautiful I mean, looking world. back, yes. <laughs> Lots of keg parties with an ocean view. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's the envy of so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh you decided to stay in california for um college you went to stanford um tell us about the decision to study econ oh gosh i would say that goes into my list of like not the best decisions that i've made in my life <laughs> um i've always been fascinated by business and stanford's a liberal arts education so economics is the closest thing to business um, if I went back to do whatever again, I probably would have done studied industrial engineering or something like that. Mm. I found economics to be incredibly boring. Okay. I think everything I remember I learned in Econ 101, which I found fascinating, and then every deeper step into economics to me was more just lost me and application to the real world and my interest in it. It became yeah. a lot more theoretical, and so but. You know, anyways, that's not what I look back on as my fondest part of my education. But yes, it was, I guess, a good education. <laughs> well, tell us, what was your fondest uh, I mean, aspect well, of education? Going to Stanford, I mean, Stanford's an amazing university, and it's really the caliber of the people that you're surrounded with. Yeah. Friends, human connections made, um, the environment, and that was really like what framed and my you know what i remember my college experience by nice no that's great so upon graduating um you landed in an investment banking position i did yeah so i wanted to go far away from what was new age and to me being an investment banker was a symbol of that investment <laughs> <laughs> banker everything yeah. would be um, <laughs> And it's interesting because, um, I mean, I, 
it was a great professional training for me. I'll never forget the first like three days into the job. The associate I worked with pulled me aside and be like, you are a deer in headlights. Like, let me teach you a few things, like including how to format a spreadsheet to print on one page. Like I, <laughs> I had no training and um, I loved the work. It was raising money for technology companies um, worldwide. I was mostly focused on the semiconductor and internet industries. Gotcha. At the end of the day, the culture of investment banking just really didn't suit me. Yeah. And, you know, one's boss would wait till stepping off a plane at 9 p.m. to give uh, an assignment that needed to be due the next day and celebrated the poor and letter. And exactly. So, no, it's true. I remember those days. And then, of course, they would say it had to be on their desk by 9 a.m., but they wouldn't look at it till 5 or 6 p.m. Be excited when they came in the office and you were still there at 9 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that culture, uh, it, you know, I, I stayed for my requisite two years, but then I knew it wasn't the right thing for me. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's, I think it's a sentiment shared by a lot of people who do invest in banking that, that have higher callings. And so I'm just going to sort of ascribe it to that. Um, you were at a place called icebox for a bit was that uh, was that a startup yeah it was so um and so i spent two years at as an investment banker i moved home to san diego and I spent a year there it was an important year because it's actually like i was really burnt out just like working all the time for sure day, 12 to 14 hours a day and my sister my older sister said you, you really should try yoga sometime and hmm. i didn't want to because it reminded me of my childhood. And then uh, I went to a class and it was a, you know, it was a vinyasa flow class. It was packed, it was sweaty, it was hard. People were like, the agility and strength I was watching in these people's bodies around me was so aspirational. And I just said, wow, like that is something I, I could use and I want more. Mm. And I started practicing yoga all the time. So that was like, wow, that was an important part of my career path that I had to pause on. Um, Not for sure. It was 1999. The internet was booming. I got a job for a dot com that was really five to 10 years ahead of its time, creating episodic uh, content online with some of Hollywood's best writers. Oh, okay. And, um, I, I I was there for just the beginning of that business, and when the business closed its doors in 2000, the market collapsed and startups sure. at their time didn't make it. So yep. that was that a good was one of the, that was a good business experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thankfully you were doing yoga at the time, so that uh, kind of helped manage helped. The, the stress from that. Now, did you do any yoga when you were a child? No. Oh, I, so it was just like, you kind of shunned it at that age, early, yeah, early age. It was just something that symbolized like how wacky and weird my parents were. Wow, so fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Well, so credit to uh, your older sister to, oh, to get total you. credit to her. And <laughs> yeah, when when uh, the business closed in 2001, Icebox, I applied for a teacher training program, and I was really interested in at Yoga Works. I was really interested in how did my 
hamstrings grow by a foot and a half? Like, hmm. what, where does, how does that work? That's what I really yeah. wanted to understand. But I never, I never learned that in that teacher training, but I did meet my wife. So that was a very important investment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, so the universe had guided you to just where you needed to be. That's uh, that's nice to hear. Um, after your Icebox experience, you spent some time at uh, MGM. How did that come about? So I had some media experience, and I've just always loved traveling. And mm. um, being put me on a plane in another time zone, and I, I'm at my happiest. And so <laughs> I kind of determined that I wanted to find an, a job in internet where international media come together. And right. I met a guy, Lawrence Sabo, he took a bet on me. I wasn't from the media profession. Um, really, I, was, I had a digital media stint and I, I joined the international group of MGM in their DVD department. And the early 2000s, that's when people watched DVDs, and that's right when MGM decided to take the DVD from behind lock and key and put them at the cash register, and like DVDs were going bananas. And I was um, I was managing the international side of MGM's DVD business for its new feature releases. Wow! So, oh, fantastic. But uh, it didn't. Um you didn't really develop a passion for entertainment or, or the industry. Well, you didn't feel like I'm going to stay with this. Yeah. I think what I've always been a, I mentioned that I'm very driven, but it's also like wanting to create real impact. Yeah. And I think that with all respect to the entertainment industry, it was about social, like progress was made through socializing. And um, I had a lot of fun and I was jet setting and meeting great people. And I, I realized though, that if I didn't show up for a meeting one day, it wouldn't matter. James Bond would still sell millions of units in, in Japan. And my role in that was not, um, not inconsequential, but it really didn't matter. Um, and so it was, it was less that I wasn't interested in it and more that I wanted to do something that I was more entrepreneurial, had visible impact and contribution to the world around me. Well, that makes sense. Well, um, you had already gone through the teacher training program, so you knew some of the uh, folks at Yoga Works, and then you made this this transition. But uh, yeah, I would say it's a pretty significant switch. Um, although one could argue that both are a form of entertainment, but uh, you know, different industries. I would say in terms of you know, just sort of uh, passive entertainment versus you know something that's more on the athletic side. Uh, but how did you thread that needle? How did you end up there? Yeah, I mean, so I was teaching yoga once a week as a hobby while I was working wow. at MGM. I realized I really loved nice. teaching. That was kind of a byproduct of my teacher training too. And, um, you know, Yoga Works was purchased by Highland Capital in early 2000s. And I was excited about that. It was the idea of building a national, you know, premium brand of yoga and I knew the system well and it was a way to marry what I loved um, mm. to do personally and 
business and it was right yoga was really taking off in the early 2000s and uh it was less pervasive as it is today but you know it was starting to really take on um right that was before lululemon was on the scene etc so right um, which i credit a lot to really bringing yoga to more people in america i think lululemon mm. has a, we owe a huge debt to them, those of us who are passionate about more sure. people practicing yoga. so um i'm going back to the question though the question is oh so, so yeah so i just got to know the folks that bought bought yoga works and convinced them to hire me and i came on uh, running their business development um, nice and I was, yeah. oh that's great well and uh, business development was that um uh, acquisition of other studios because i know they did that for a period of time you know it's kind of like a free safety position at that moment um it involved launching new markets it involved driving yoga into the healthcare system it involved brand and brand development it was kind of like you know, business development is like this overarching title that can yeah. shift marketing sales. So exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and um, uh, you were there for a few years. Yeah, I was there for about four years. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, you made a shift to Manduka where you spent um, a decade plus. So uh, tell us about uh, that shift. Yeah, sure. So I think like in my desire to be entrepreneurial and make impact in the world around me, you know, I got to a point where I felt like I wanted to have more skin in the game in, in the work I was doing. I, I, yeah. I work incredibly hard at everything that I do and um, was ready for something more entrepreneurial. And I got to know a couple of folks, including Peter Stereos, who founded Manduka, sure. and ended up with um, some partners to raise money to buy Manduka um, from Peter. Peter had built this incredible business a decade in, and it was the best kept secret. And, you know, it was the black mat and the purple light out of really his, a garage in San Luis Obispo. And my eyes lit up at the opportunity of, you know, we, we really um, looked at Patagonia and how they built this best in class platform from this. Yeah. Well, the best-in-class carabiner created this platform for sustainability and this lifestyle company around outdoors. And what could we do with the black mat as that foundation for yoga and, and really high-quality, technical, eco-responsible yoga equipment? Sure. Absolutely. Well, and... Um... Uh, you know, I, I think when you joined the the yoga market, yoga mat market was pretty nascent. Um, but uh, after you joined, you quickly became the market leader, and it was sort of great timing because as the interest in yoga increased and you had more practitioners coming to the practice, um, you were there with a, a world class product that uh, was very thoughtful and performed exceptionally well. And so uh, it uh, it dovetailed well and, and the business grew incredibly. No, yeah, well, see, you can tell the story better than I can. <laughs> As a yoga <laughs> entrepreneur, you know, um, I mean, it was good timing. It was interesting because before Manduka, yoga mats were really afterthoughts. I mean, the genesis yeah. was pretty much like PVC rolls cut in the back of a yoga studio to order. No exactly. Um, That's right. 
And it was, I mean, it, it really, the credit I give to that is really to the quality of the product because at the end of the day, I mean, the amount of times, one of the ways Manduka built, there was a few, few really specific ways that we built Manduka, but one of them was through distribution and opening up new distribution channels. And the response to, if it's Amazon, Whole Foods, REI, Nordstrom's, Athleta, like all these incredible distribution partners, they would, they would pick up this eight and a half pound mat that costs hundred dollars. They're crazy. Nobody's gonna buy this. And through persistence, I mean, through continued relationship building through time, they would give us a shot. And the Manduka mat would outperform per square footage at retail, like every single time. Nice. And it was amazing because you know, I, I would expect that in an REI that has kind of a more technical customer, <clears throat> but at a Dick Sporting Goods, for example, right? I didn't know, you know, but it, it's it's what happened. And so, um, my point is the great the quality of the product is what paved the way to creating this marketplace for technical yoga equipment. Yeah, no, amazing. Well, I know that um, sales data is always sensitive, but just in terms of number of people, like how large was the organization when you started and what uh, quantity or what headcount did you grow it to when you left? Yeah, from an employee standpoint, I mean, when we bought Manduka, it was three to five people, depending upon, I mean, it was probably <laughs> three full-time. And when... Um, I stepped down as, you know, we were probably like in the eighties, 80 employees. Amazing. Well done. Um, what would you say were important lessons you learned as you scaled? I mean, it's like almost a 30 fold increase, 25 fold increase in uh, personnel. Um, and, uh, you know, you talked about the importance of product and the quality Um but you also talked about some persistence with, with customers. And so maybe are there some good anecdotes about um, persistence there, resilience that uh, won the day eventually? With customers or? Yeah, just you know, uh, as an example, customers, because you highlight that, but if any other good uh, business experience stories that you could share with the audience, that would be great. Oh, so much. I mean, I think like I was a young CEO and I felt like I had a lot to prove. Hmm. And I think if I learned anything, I mean, part of the way I was wired and uh, I mean, the most important thing is just how important it is to hire strong and build a great team. Yep. And the best leadership is that where you hand over to really strong leaders and let them pave the way. Um, I think like the importance of, of uniting around the mission and the power of when, when an employee or a customer is engaged in their heart by a product or a brand. Um, I mean, it's huge, you know, the, the customer is fanatical about the product and tells their friends, employees willing to go above and beyond to perform and do a duty to that business or serve that business and just a, a true authentic real mission and, and the power of that in building business. 
Um, so those are two, but uh, I mean, persistence for sure. I mean, I think the amount of times um, when one is, when the company's small and it's the breaks, it's the big favors, it's the, it's the convincing the supply chain that you're going to grow by a hundred times and therefore you need exclusivity and better pricing and like people taking bets on you or the, the, you know, DMM of REI or, you know, it's, it's those bets and that faith and trust and that rapport that's built that is everything to changing the business, you know? I mean, I'll never forget when, um, a year into we had, we, so a, a group of angel investors, um, and myself bought out Peter Stereos from Manduka and it was 2008. And those of us that remember 2008, uh, oh, all yeah. the banks collapsed. And I mean, literally the phone stopped ringing. We raised just under enough money. So we really didn't have enough money to capitalize the business. And it was a really scary time. And we, the phone stopped ringing, but Amazon kept ordering, which was amazing. Hmm. And two months later, um, I got a PO from Lululemon, which was the size of the PO was over the annual revenue of the business. And that, <laughs> I mean, I just never forget driving home being like, holy moly. And uh, my, the, the lead partner that helped finance the deal, um, there's two guys, Rush McCoy and RT Arnold, and Rush McCoy was deployed to Afghanistan. And I just remember saying how much I wish I could call him and let him know what just happened because it was sure. so amazing. You know? But I was never perfectly driving home and having having that uh, moment of like, wow, okay, this is going to work. We're going to get this, get through this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. Well done. Congratulations on on all those successes. Um, at some point, though, you made a decision to part ways and, and move on to, to different opportunities. And I think you're still involved with Manduka at a, at a board level. Um, but, you know, uh, so much of um, our audience is uh, keen on those uh, transitions, those changes. And so maybe share with us a little bit about uh, what was your decision matrix at that time? What were you thinking about? And what was ultimately the, the driver of the decision to, to leave? Look, it was a it was a tough one because I, I I mean, my heart. I have still have so much love for the brand, and grateful that I'm still involved. Um, I, I remember, um, and when you build something like that, it really like feels like a child, you know. Um, I was sure. having my third baby was on the way. I'd been really hard for eight and a half years, and it was just time for me to take a little space and reevaluate what was important to me. And I was able to, you know, step down and have great leadership in place. So, so yeah, for me, it was really just about uh, time to take a step back, which I'm a big proponent of. I've done many times in my career. Yeah. And just the power of that space and getting quiet and taking a moment to recalibrate, like it, to me, is, is, is an essential part of the human experience. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, in the process of recalibrating, you uh, launched a, a new business. 
And uh, so share with us about, uh, you know, what that transition period felt like, what looked exciting or enticing, and then ultimately what led to the uh, creation of Well Set. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, in my own soul searching and taking some time, I really realized that part of my mission in life is to help um, businesses grow that expand consciousness and help people live better lives. And that's, that's what really gets me out of bed in the morning in terms of um, bringing together business as a force for good to help people expand consciousness and live happier and more joyful lives. So um, in that process, I founded a business called WellSet. It's a booking platform for alternative medicine uh, providers and practitioners. And, you know, in, 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 I've broken a lot of bones in my life. I, in my early childhood, I broke my right leg and my left ankle. And I've had a ton of musculoskeletal issues, which wow. um, start with some broken bones, don't rehab them well work a lot at a computer and it's a recipe for just a lot of muscular tension and it'd be a type of personality that just holds on to a lot of stress so i feel like i've spent uh, i have lifetimes to go to just unwind all that tension in my body but the point of this is that you know through my journey of like working with an amazing chiropractor kinesiologist and acupuncture and cranial sacral work and um, myofascial therapy and meditation um, the funny thing is the yoga is what added to a lot of my injuries. So oh. things really helped me balance all those injuries out. Wow. But, um, yeah. I was just struck by the fact that just how powerful and profound these healers are and whereby my medical doctor, I have a lot of, uh, respect for Western medicine and what the power of Western medicine, there are certain conditions that I feel some of these preventive practitioners are better equipped to deal with, you know? So yeah. like, I go to my doctor and say, I have a tremendous amount of tension in the right side of my thoracic spine. And the answer was a muscle relaxant. And I would go to a myofascial therapist and four sessions later feel free there, right? And that's mm -hmm. just really profound. But in, in the hopes of creating an onboard path for all those people out there that know something's wrong and that their doctor isn't addressing it in the right way, but don't know where to go, but they may have a platform to understand their options and take responsibility for other options and, and, and actions that may help heal them. Um, and on the practitioner side, these incredibly profound healers, like remarkable, incredible, amazing, that may not be backed by science or be great at marketing, that may they be more accessible and so Wilson was that premise and um you know I, I launched it uh with my partner Tegan Bukowski a really amazing woman who um is the CEO and it's been a, a great experience and, and really uh exciting to see take take shape and form no that's amazing well and and kudos to uh female co-founders I've been involved in two businesses with female co-founders and uh it's uh, it's a good way to go. <laughs> I, yeah, I second that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, so you don't really have an operating role at, at WellSet. Uh, it's I'm more the executive of, uh, chairman. Uh, I also um, play a CFO role for it. So, ah, uh, sure, of course. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know but, how that works. <laughs> 
What, what I was uh, alluding to is that um, sounds like maybe there's some bandwidth for uh, looking at other possibilities. And uh, I'm just curious, Guy, when you talked about uh, being driven by uh, helping people live a, a conscious lifestyle, and I, I may have um, not gotten the wording there absolutely right, but uh, when you look at uh, what's going on today, like where where do you feel like there are areas of uh, of interest for you, or opportunity, or or what speaks to you in terms of um, things that need to get solved or could be addressed? Yeah, um, such a great question. Um, I mean, I think that. Um, well, I have two answers. The first is uh, today I am largely called to being at home with my kids. So nice. And they just attend one of them, um, 10 month old, and um, just really enjoying being a hands on dad. So, but if I go back to like the moment that we're in, right, with COVID, and I mean, it's such a moment of pause and reflection. And um, I think that for me, there's two things this, you know, really undeniable desire to be home. I mean, I have no choice in it, but I think the joy that has come with it yeah. and the realization of how important it is that I spend more time with my kids right now than less and making that a priority. So I'm called to that in this moment. Um, and then and I look at the broader world and I think like if coronavirus is anything to us, it's a mirror reflecting back to us at the, the health of our culture, you know, and our consciousness and that there's so much opportunity. There's so much opportunity to be more connected. There's so much opportunity to slow down the way we live and work more powerfully and more efficiently. There's so much opportunity to make choices that help us feel and live better and be stronger, have stronger immunity, um, bring more joy into our lives. And I think there's a lot of business opportunities in that whole arena, which excite me. Oh, that's exciting. Well, uh, I, for one, will be very curious about uh, what the future uh, looks like for for you, Sky, and what how it unfolds, and um, we'll certainly want to keep tabs on on uh, the areas that you decide to focus on. Um, this has been uh, an amazing conversation. Uh, I really do appreciate the candor with which you've shared your different career choices and uh, the decisions behind uh, the various moves and what motivated you uh, each step of the way. Sky, this has been so great. Uh, Thank you so much for, for sharing. Thank you for the um, all that you did.